And I would like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm 145, and the Bibles we provided for you will be page 145. Page 140, uh, sorry, page 524. Did I say page 145? Psalm 145, page 524. There we go. So um, listen, I hope that you grabbed a worship guide on your way in. If you did not receive a worship guide that has this vision handout in it and then some commitment cards, please raise your hand. We have a couple of our ushers who are going to come around and make sure that that's in everyone's hand. So if you were to raise your hand really high, uh, don't be scared. It'll take just a second to get that to you. Uh, that will help you follow along this morning as we dive into... God's Word and the vision that we believe He is setting before us in 2014. Well, I don't know about you, but I love this time of the year. It's a, it's a fresh start. It's an opportunity to, to turn the page on the year that was and steam forward into what God has in store over this next year. So uh, I hope that you are expectant and eager to see God work in your own life and in the life of our church. Now, as I've been praying over these past few days, as I've been praying for many of you and, and my family and even, even myself, I found myself pr praying the simple prayer, God, I pray that this would be the greatest year of their life, her life, his life, even my life. And I think that is a pretty worthy prayer. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, I'm not signing up for the list, you know, most mediocre year of my life in 2014, right? I mean, anyone on board for that? It's like, so it kind of makes sense to pray that this would be a great year. It would be a year that God really works in us and through us. But, but the question becomes then, if, if I am praying that this would be the greatest year of your life, it begs the question, then what am I praying for? What is greatness? How would you define that? How would you acquire an understanding of greatness that, that, that would then really define what this year would look like in our lives. And so while we could throw a lot of ingredients into that prayer that God would make this the greatest year of our lives, I believe there is one chief ingredient, one essential, non-negotiable ingredient that needs to be in that prayer in order for it to be truly the greatest year of our lives. And that is simply this, that God would give us a vision of his greatness. That we would see the greatness of God and that God would help us to be captured by a vision of his greatness. D.A. Carson agreed with this line of thinking in his excellent book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, when he said this, the one thing we most urgently need is a deeper knowledge of God. That's the one thing we need, a deeper knowledge of God. A.W. Tozer puts it like this, and you've heard us quote this many, many times at Redemption Hill. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But he doesn't stop there. 
Look at what he goes on to write in that opening chapter of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, this is true, not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Think about that. Our vision of God will really determine everything about us. How we view God, what we believe about him, will will influence the way we act, the way we pray, the way we live, the way we love, the way we worship. It influences everything. And so today, I want to set forth a vision for our church in 2014. But let me just say from the outset, it would be no vision at all if it were not ultimately driven by a vision of the greatness of God. So as John mentioned this morning, we're we're going to, over the next four weeks, dive into the Psalms. We're going to call it our G-series, all right? And, And that's because God is great, God is good. God is glorious and God is gracious. And this morning, of course, we are going to focus on the fact that God is a great God. We're going to see this from Psalm 145. And by the way, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Many of you may not know. It's the last Psalm of David, and it introduces the songs of praise that make up the last six chapters of the book of Psalms. And and while I wish we had time to really work through it methodically and patiently because of the nature of the Sunday, we won't be able to do that. But what I hope that happens this morning is, at minimum, our time in 145 would really whet your appetite to study the psalm further and, and set the foundation for where we're going as individuals and as a church in this new year. So let me read these verses for us as we dive in to God's Word. Here we go. Verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. 
The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. These 21 verses invite us to be captured by a vision of the greatness of God and to live to show his greatness. It's as simple as that. These verses invite us to be captured by a vision of the greatness of God and then to live to show his greatness. Did you see all of the different expressions of worship that David throws into this song of praise, this prayer to God? He, he begins, he says, I will extol you. I will bless you. I will praise you. Generations shall, shall commend your works to one another. David uses every word in his arsenal of worship to, to describe how worthy God is, how great God is. And so my first encouragement for us this morning is simply this, be captured by a vision of the greatness of God. We see this in the first three verses. When we think about the greatness of God, we do not simply mean that God is very good. Sometimes when we think about what is great in our lives, we mean, oh, it was like a little bit better than good, so we'll call it great. That's not what God is, is like, okay? He's not just simply very good. God is infinitely valuable and holds superiority over everything. Jeremiah 10, verse 6 says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. So have you ever considered why Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, begins the prayer by saying, Our Father, teaching us the intimacy and the care and the love, this relationship that we can have with God, but it's our Father in heaven. And what's the first petition of the prayer that guides all of the other petitions? It's hallowed be your name. What does that mean? To hallow the name of God is to revere God above everything. It's to treasure him above everything. It's to honor him above everything. It's to set him apart as holy in our hearts. Because he is that worthy. Verse 3 tells us the greatness of God stretches beyond our ability to understand it. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Okay, this is the meta memo verse for the whole year. Okay? 
So some of you know we do meta-memo verses every week because these are verses we want to meditate on and then try to memorize. Okay, so here's, here's meta-memo for the whole year. Not that we're not going to have one each Sunday, get it? But, but this is the one that we're going to really focus on all year. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. There are no depths that we can touch that plumb the, the greatness of God. We can never reach the bottom. And, and this is what I love about God. What, what the scripture says about God is that all that we know to be true of him, all of the grace, all of the love, all of the glory that we've seen and experienced from God, which I hope in this point in your life is, is much. We could collect it all. We could collect it all of all the Christians all over the world. And you know what the book of Job says about everything we've experienced about God? It says this, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? We've only begun to scratch the surface on the, the depths on the, of the greatness and the infinite worth of God. And there's so much freedom when we understand this. I mean, when we really come face to face with the greatness of God, I think three things should happen at minimum, much more than three, but let me give you three. Number one, it should humble us, right? God is great. I'm not great. So I'm going to live my life in light of his greatness, but then number two, not only should it humble us and keep our lives in perspective, but it should also inspire us to a lot of confidence. Man, because God is great, man, I can overcome whatever it is in my life. I can live the life that he's called me to live. I can, I can do whatever it is that Jesus has exemplified for me to do. And then thirdly, it sets us free, okay? It humbles us, it gives us confidence, and it sets us free. Why? Because, because God is sovereign. He's on his throne. He reigns above all as we sing. And so ultimately, my life is in his hands. This church is in his hands. This is his deal. So we just look to him and we turn over to him and say, God, you do your work. Because at the end of the day, I can't change my own heart. I can't change the hearts of anybody around here. It's you. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Just to say, God, do your work. And so do you know the greatness of God? Have you experienced the greatness of God? Is this, is this a regular occurrence in your life? I pray that it is. And here's a great five-word prayer, okay? It's just so simple. God, show me your greatness. Just pray that. Like, pray it every single day. Pray it multiple times every day. God, show me your greatness. When you pray for our church, you can ch change the pronoun. It's not too difficult, okay? Even I learned this in English class back in elementary school, okay? God, show us, us your greatness. What a great prayer to pray for your brothers and sisters in this church. So when we come into the presence of God, when we see who God is in the scripture, how glorious he is, the glory of his, of his person, of his work in the gospel, we should be captured by him. It should hold us. It should captivate us. Not letting us move so that we fix our eyes on him and worship. But then number two, as we're captured by a vision of his greatness, then what we want to do in response to that then is to live a life of worship by declaring the greatness of God. 
When we behold the greatness of God, it's really difficult to remain silent about that. That's what verses four through seven say. Look, look, look at what all it says. The, the greatness of God is to be declared, verses four and six, meditated on, verse five, spoken about, verse six, poured forth, verse seven, sung aloud, verse seven, given thanks over, verse 10. We're to just be talking about it, declaring it, encouraging one another with it. When you're going through a difficult time, hey, Instead of trying to like read an article on the internet, you know, like five steps to a better day, how about reminding one another of the greatness of God? It's a really good idea. We should praise God for the greatness of his character. Do you know verses eight and nine? This is a, this is a refrain all throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is who our God is. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. We praise him for who he is. And what does that mean? This is how great God is, okay? And you're not, you're not, you're not there yet, probably. At least you're not there every day because I'm not either, by the way. If God did not lift his finger and do one thing for you, he would still be infinitely worthy of our praise, That's how great he is. He doesn't have to do anything for me for him to be great. But he does. He does. God is not only great in his person, his character, he's great in his works. All of his works are consistent with his character. And so then when we look down in verses 10 through 21, and I can't unpack and go all through them, but I mean, it's just the works of God. He, he provides, he satisfies, he works, he shows his righteousness. It's all over how we should praise God then for the greatness of his works. And by the way, we see the greatness of God most clearly in his work in the gospel. Sending Jesus to be our substitute, to give us life, to rise from the dead that we might also have life in him and rise with him. So here at Redemption Hill, listen, we have been privileged to see the great works of God since we launched this church back in April of 2011. And many of you were here, and you'll remember a year ago when, just a couple of Sundays after this, we laid out a vision for 2013. Hopefully some of you still have this laying around your house, maybe somewhere in a Bible or on your desk. I'm sure many of you have prayed over it every week, right? That's a, a suggestion for this year, at least, okay? So, 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 so look at this. Do you see all the yellow? Do you see all the highlights here? All of the yellow are, are areas where we've seen God answer prayer, do his work. The blue are areas that we've yet to see him do, but we're believing he will continue to do as we move forward as a church. This is pretty amazing. This is pretty awesome, and what this should lead us to do is to come back and to fall at his feet in humility with gratitude and say, God, you are great. Let me hit just a few of the highlights for you as we reflect on 2013. Number one, I think these are markers for us, okay? I can't spend a ton of time. I wish I could. Number one, maturity and ownership. It is awesome to see the spirit of God at work in people. And 
in us collectively as a church. The Spirit works in us and He grows us up in Christ and He, and he causes us to, to live our lives for Him and to worship Him and to serve together and do great things in His name. We see this happening more and more and more in the life of our church. And if you've been looking around, which I know you have over the past year, I think all of these things you would say, yes, 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 yes. Okay, so maturity and ownership. That's number one. Number two, growth. God has brought significant and at times phenomenal growth in the life of our church. Not only on Sundays, but in our community groups, on our serve teams, in our ministry efforts to the city, we have seen God continue to grow our church, not only deeper, but also wider. And we should give him praise for that. Then leadership. God continues to, to strengthen our leadership. I'll, I'll share more about this in just a few moments. Then four, ministries. Think about this, okay? We're, we're a church plant. We're new, which means we're, we're, we're looking to add ministry strategically and wisely as we build as a church. So consider this. 2013, we launched our student ministry. Scott Griffin leads for us. We... Uh, really saw our women's ministry pick up, and Abby Cook did a great job leading that ministry for us in 2013. We initiated our benevolence and counseling ministries this year. I mean, they're just getting off the ground, but they're started, they're in motion. Man, that's a, that's a lot that's happened over the past year. Then you look at local mission. All the things that we do to reach out to our city, to serve, not expecting anything in return, just because God has changed our life. We want to display his love to others. It has been awesome to see us come together and serve our city through Easter egg hunts and, and uh, Thanksgiving meal giveaways and soccer nights and serve Medford and all the things that we're doing. But you know what? We also pray that God enables people to see what we're up to and, and reflecting his glory. And then that compels people to say, you know what? Maybe I need to give some attention to this church. Maybe I need to give some attention to this God that they know and serve. And so this past year, check this out, we saw over 30 people come as first-time guests in light of our community events. That's six times more than we had seen in any year past. That's, that's amazing. That's like, that's like way abnormal for church plants in New England and greater Boston. So it doesn't mean we're great. It doesn't mean that there's anything special about us. It just means that these are the works of God. This is what God is doing to build his church among us. Then you have global mission. This year, it was, it was a, a year for us to put some things in place, to get some things in order. So we are not only uh, partnering with Todd Burris, his family in Charlestown here in Boston. We've established and begun supporting a church plant in Toronto, Trinity Life Church. And we've also now begun the initial stages of partnership with some missionaries in India, where we can take the gospel to unreached peoples in India. And so we look forward to, to seeing what God is going to do there. But, but then, finally, let's not forget about the transition, okay? We moved from spring step in September to the Boys and Girls Club. And when, and when you have kind of major shifts like that in the life of church— there's significant moments. And just like when you kind of head into a test in your personal life or your family life, it reveals your character. It shows what's going on on the inside. Man, I'm very thankful to see what, 
was in the heart of our church. I mean, people sacrificed time, stepped up to serve, continue to do so that we might serve our community and come together to worship each Sunday. So for all of this, we give God thanks and praise. And for all of this, we see his past grace and faithfulness, and it gives us much confidence then to look forward to the new year and say, okay, God, how do you want to continue to work in 2014? And so that's where I'd like to shift our attention now. Look at this handout that we've given you. What this is, and I was kind of cutting up about it, but I really do mean this. This is really a prayer guide, okay? It's a prayer guide. It's a, it's a prayer list, if you will. It's, it's a strategic map of where we pray God takes us in the new year. And so I hope that you will hang on to this. We'll, we'll email it out. You'll have electronic copies. There's always a copy on our welcome table. If you ever lose one, you can pick another one back up. But this is, this is a document that we want to use to, to, to pray over and, and to, to, to really ask God to move among us and continue his work. And before we dive into all the particulars here, what I want to do is just give us a little bit of an introduction on a biblical understanding of goals and planning, okay? And this is probably really good for your own life. So, so if they apply to our church, you can take them and insert them into your life as you plan for the future and vision out as well, okay? So number one, goals and planning are really wise, all right? Look at Moses, look at Nehemiah, look at Peter, look at Paul. They were all guided and directed by God, and they made plans accordingly, Just look at Jesus. We just went through the Gospel of Luke last year. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus lived his life with a mission, a plan, a purpose. And even God, be be astounded by the greatness of God. Again, before the foundation of the world. You can't wrap your mind around that, I know. But before the foundation of the world, God had planned out and orchestrated everything that he needed to to bring about our salvation through the sending of his son. God has a plan. And he continues to have a plan that he will one day bring a new creation and renew all of this, a new heavens and a new earth. So so reflecting him, it's wise and, and right for us to plan. Goals are preferred destinations. They, they, they're like a roadmap. They tell us where we are going. Number two, wise plans are built in community. Proverbs 15, says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so very practically, what this looks like for us, and I hope this is what it looks like in your own life, number one, we're going to the word because we don't want anything that we do in our church to be uh, out of line with what the Bible says this should be true of a healthy church. Then we go to God in prayer and we depend on the spirit and say, God, show us, lead us, guide us. Help us to see what you want us to see. And then we, as a leadership team, work together. All this is bounced off our elder team. All this is bounced off our staff team. And ultimately, all this is influenced by all of you because you've all been on this journey with us. So wise plans are built in community. Number three, our plans should be full of faith. Here's some common grace for you. Daniel Burnham, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but I like what he says here. He was an architect in the 20th century. He says that, um, he says this, make no little plans. I love this. Make no little plans for they have no magic to stir men's blood and they themselves will not soon be realized. You hear that? 
make no little plan. They have, they have no capacity to stir us, to motivate us. And, and little plans usually aren't even fulfilled anyway. So on the one hand, because God is great, we want to have great plans. We want to trust him. God, this, what we're saying, with you, all things are possible. And at the same time, the prayer goes, God, you can do anything, but we trust you, whatever you choose to do. As we, as we saw, I mean, all of our plans last year and goals and prayers weren't answered precisely down to the detail, but they were in God's hands, which leads us to the fourth point. Our plans ultimately belong to God. These plans are not written in stone, okay? They'll be developed and tweaked and adjusted over time. But with every one of these goals, we say in the words of James 4.15, listen to this, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Hear that? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. So let all of that be a foundation, a framework then for us as we look at our 2014 vision. All right, I hope you're excited. Let's look at this together, okay? What we want to do is live in light. That's why the verse is at the top. We want to live in light of the greatness of God. That's our first priority. We want to be captured by this vision of the greatness of God and then live to show his greatness, now, now, one of the cool aspects of our vision for this year is where we are as a church, almost three years in in April, we don't need to add a lot of ministries and, and new developments and efforts, okay? What we need to do is keep doing what we're doing and do it better. Is, is, that, is that ever true in your own life? You don't want to need to add like 25 things to make something. You just need to keep doing what you're doing and do it better. So that, that's a foundational principle for us as then we continue to live out the mission of our church, which is to, to be about the gospel community and mission as the greatest pursuits of our life. And so what I want to do, and I want to invite you to do, I want to challenge you to do, as we look through each one of these goals and priorities, I want you to ask God to open your eyes to say, how can I be a part of this vision? God, what do you want to do in my life personally, my own heart as I walk before you this year? And then I can just tell you that if you want to walk with God, that will, have, that will necessarily have implications for what this looks like in the life of our church, okay? So be thinking about that. You also receive some commitment cards there in your, in your uh, worship guide that look like this. And so, man, maybe as, as I'm talking about these things and the Spirit is speaking to you and opening your eyes, you may even have some commitments that you want to go ahead and write down. Man, I want to give myself to that. I want to take that next step. I want to see God do this in our church, and I'm going to contribute to that end as we work our way through, okay? So, so number one, gospel, we want to rigorously live out the implications of the gospel. The gospel should flavor, inform, motivate everything we do as Christians. So how are we going to get about this? Well, the first goal is, is, is simple. It's about exactly the same as last year. We want to cultivate greater dependence on the Spirit through the rhythms of word and prayer. All right, this, this one really guides all of the other goals and priorities. I believe that if we develop the rhythm of being in the word and, and giving ourselves to kingdom-minded, intentional prayer, that the spirit will fill us and use us to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in the life of our church this year. And so, so let me just encourage you, there's no need to complicate the Christian life 
And there's no need to complicate our vision. I mean, if we'll just stick to this, being in the word, being constant in prayer, then we'll place ourselves in position for God to use us. Let's get in the word, pray, and seek God above everything we do in 2014, all right? Number two, provide more equipping and training for growth in doctrine and mission. All right, I'm excited about this one. Last night, I went and picked up my girls from the airport. Okay, they were supposed to come in Thursday night, and then Hercules kind of derailed those plans. So thankfully, I got to, you know, do a big detour around Boston, thanks to the Callahan Tunnel being closed, and finally get to the airport just like 30 seconds before they did it. Baggage claim, it worked out perfect. And then, you know, it was a great reunion. The girls run up, you know, just like in the movies. That's what happens when kids are little. They just run up, and they hug you, and they think you're the greatest person in the world, uh, which is pretty cool. And, uh, and then so we, we get home, and Marsha walks in, and husbands, this is some just good advice, right? When your wife's out of town, you need to handle your business, you know what I'm saying? So when she comes into the kitchen... Everything's shining, you know what I'm saying? Everything's clean. It's gleam gleaming in there. It's looking good. And, and, and you know, the obvious response is like, man, it looks good in here. I didn't know you knew how to do this, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so what was my response? Baby, you train me well. Right? You train me well. I mean, it's, it's true. She has trained me well. She's she showed me the tools. She's given me the resources. She sent me a really good example on what it looks like to clean the kitchen. I'm not as good at it as she is, but, but I'm getting there, okay? So, so, so this is what we need in the Christian life too. We need to be equipped with tools, resources, training, guidance. I'm sure many of you are asking questions. Man, we need to have the rhythm of word and prayer. How do I pray? How do I understand the Bible? What about the Old Testament? That's kind of hard to understand. Can anybody help me with that? How do I share my faith? How do I grow in my parenting skills? What about relationships? What does it look like to to get into a, a, a good and godly relationship with someone? All of these things we want to provide equipping and training for. Not only that, I'm really excited about where we're going in the Word on Sunday mornings this year, okay? We're going to have three different series in the Old Testament this year, okay? One is this month in the Psalms. As soon as we conclude that, we're going to hit about a 12-week series in the Pentateuch, okay? That's a fancy word of, way of saying the first five books of the Bible, They're going to look at how we see Jesus in the Old Testament, how all of these truths are pointing us to the coming Redeemer, then in the fall, we're going to head up the little minor prophet, Haggai, all right? So that's, that's the Old Testament. In the summer, we're going to hit the book of James. It's filled with a lot of practical wisdom. And then our plan also is to hit four different thematic series, one on global missions, a follow-up on evangelism, then a series on relationships and, and sex, and then a final one on money. And then we'll conclude the year with a short series in the Gospel of Matthew that will help us meditate on Christmas. So that then gets us thinking about worship on Sundays, all right? We always like to think about, okay, where are we as a church and and what might be possible as we seek to continue to reach out to those around us in 2014? And so look at this. We want to grow our worship gatherings through intentional invitation. Those are the two most important words in this, okay? Through intentional invitation, And if the Lord wills, maybe have up to 240 of a high attendance by April, Easter, third anniversary, and then up to 300 by the end 
of the year. Now, listen, I know many of you, you hear these numbers and they just kind of sound crazy, right? You're just kind of taken back by that. But, but listen, uh, that's kind of how it was last year, right? We're, we're kind of, you know, sitting around kind of the, the, the lower 100 mark and we're saying, hey, by April we want to see 175 and by the end of the year we want to see 225. Well, we'll look at what God did last year. On, on Easter Sunday, we had 170 people and all of our tough students, minus two, went to see a friend be baptized, which is awesome, but we would have easily eclipsed that number if they would have been able to come. Then this fall, we've peaked out at 206, not, not too bad, pretty awesome that God is building his community among us. And so I know that, that, that this kind of sounds a little crazy, and, and perhaps it is a little bit of a faith-filled uh, number to throw out there, okay? It's not spirit-inspired or anything. We look at where we go. We look at growth patterns and projections and, and kind of pray through that. But, but, but this is why it's really not so crazy, okay? Think about this. Last year, around this time, we had about 110, maybe 120 people who were praying, intentionally inviting, and sharing the gospel with friends. Now, we have 170 people that are regularly here praying, intentionally inviting, and sharing the gospel with others. So this should be the natural outworking of a missional church that we naturally see people continue to connect with us because we're seeking to be about the mission of God. Now, if this happens, what does this mean? It means that we need to continue to, to, to tweak and develop our, our transformation station ministry for kids. It means that we need to beef up our first impressions ministry and our music and media team. So if you have not joined in on a serve team yet, then we want to throw that opportunity out there for you to help us host and serve all of the people that come to worship with us. But, but let me just say this, okay? When you start talking about growth and you start talking about numbers, I know some of you are like, man, look, I am so pumped up about thinking about growth that I hope we have to, you know, get called in by the fire department because we're breaking code. There are so many people in here that the room can't hold that many people. Again, I know some of you are just thinking that and you're ready to roll. But then others of you are kind of nervous about that. And most of the, the anxiety is usually well-intentioned. And I have to admit, sometimes I'm a bit anxious about it myself. And you say, why is that, Tanner? Well, I think for those of you that know me know I lo really love people. In fact, I don't think you should be a pastor if you don't. But, but anyway, I mean, like, I really love people. I really love connecting with you. That's why, like, when you're out of here, I'm, like, trying to say what's up. And, like, I'm in, like, conversation. I'm trying not to, like, stay focused, you know, because I just love people. I love connecting with everybody. If I had an infinite amount of hours in my week, I would spend time with every single one of you. But, but here's the deal. I'm learning this from a, a pastor. His name is Larry Osborne. He, he makes the great point that our lives are sort of like Legos, you know, little, little toys that kids play with. Adults sometimes have fun with them too. They, they only have so many connectors on the top of the blocks, right? And our lives are kind of like that. We all have a relational capacity, probably a max limit, that, that once we reach that, you know what? We just don't have the time, energy, and resources to continue connecting with more people. So that's why we have community groups at Redemption Hill, where we can gather together. It doesn't mean we can't connect. It doesn't mean that I can't know all 200 of you that come to one degree or another, and we strive to do that as pastors. But we also have to be realistic in our expectations on that as we continue to grow as a church. Now, as we continue to grow, I think this means next that we want to continue to seek to foster a culture of service and leadership development in every phase of ministry. 
People ask me often, man, Tanner, God is doing such a great work in the life of of, uh, such a young church in Boston. How is that happening? And one of my most common answers is this, okay? God has sent us servants and he has sent us leaders. I mean, we have a room of people that are just willing to humble themselves, put others before themselves and serve. If you have served on one of our serve teams, or if you have helped out with one of our ministry efforts in the community in 2013, would you just raise your hand? Raise it really high. Look around. That's almost everybody that's been here for any length of time, right? That's awesome. Praise God for that, that he has sent us service, but he's also sent us leaders. John Chastine, my running mate for three years, our other, my, our, my fellow pastor uh, at Redemption Hill. We're, we're voting this Saturday to affirm John Reddy as a new elder in our church. He's been approved to be on staff through the, the, the budget process um, this, uh, this fall. Then you, then you look at Abby Cook, Many of you that know Abby know that she basically makes us go. She, she keeps everything together and keeps us in line, right? And so she does a great job in all the different ways that God has gifted her and, and, and led her to serve our church. We have Mike and Carrie Lee volunteer their time, lead our music ministry, our children's ministry. Scott Griffin volunteering his time, leading our student ministry, doing a great job. We have Generation Link interns who raise all of their own support to be here to serve with us. Joel and Jen Smith have done an awesome job. They're taking primary lead in our college ministry now. And then we have another Generation Link intern that's coming in a couple of weeks. His name's Jonathan Mitchell, and you'll get to know him as well. I mean, think about all of that. It's amazing that God, it's a stewardship now that we have to steward really well to say, God, you have sent us all these great leaders. Now use us for your glory. It is one of the reasons. Okay, let me just say this, sidebar. It is one, it's not a sidebar. It's one of the reasons I am as optimistic as I am about the future of our church, not only in 2014, but beyond, because we have servants and we have leaders that want to lead like Jesus has called us to lead. That's the gospel. So let me quickly ask you, what is one specific commitment you will make in 2014 to see this gospel vision accomplished? What's one commitment can you make? Maybe you'll say, man, I want to really grow in my devotional pursuit of God, getting into the word and prayer. Maybe, maybe some of you say, you know what? I really need to get trained and equipped in sharing my faith or, or in, in, in parenting relationships. And so you'll want to take advantage of some of these opportunities. For, for others that may say, you know what? I've never regularly sought to intentionally invite my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. I'm going to ask God to empower me to reach out to those around me and invite them to our Sunday worship. And then still others might say, you know what, man, I'm gonna jump on a Sunday surf team, get connected so that we can continue hosting all of these people that God sends our way. So that's gospel. Another area we wanna focus on in 2014 is community. We talk about community as living like a gospel family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what, is, what does this look like? What are some things that we would love to see happen? Okay, number one, we would love to see our membership grow, not only in owning the mission, which is essential, but then also in number. We would love to have 110 members by the end of the year. Currently, we have 67 with about 10 or 12 in the pipeline who are in the middle of our process for membership. Now, our goal last year was 80. And if you add those 
10 or 12, we're, we're getting pretty close to that, okay? So, so, so why is this important? Why do we talk about membership? Isn't that boring? Like, do you even need that as a church? Well, let me tell you this. Our members are simply people that say, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. I'm committed to this local family of believers. And what happens is our members form the backbone of our church. They're the ones that are taking the lead in serving. They're the ones that are leading ministries, making the mission happen. So we would not be where we are, not only without great leadership, but great membership as a church. But if if members are the backbone of our church, then community groups are like the lifeblood of our church. Community groups are small groups of people that gather together once a week in small groups and homes to, to live life together, to form deep relationships, to care for one another, to seek to grow in our relationship with God. And so what we would love to see happen here is is to continue to effectively assimilate people into groups to where we have the need of 14 groups by the end of the year. Currently we have nine, 10 was the goal last year. We'll probably add a group coming up in the next few weeks again at minimum. So I think it's a very attainable goal. Number three, strive to reflect Medford and Greater Boston's diversity. I mean, don't you love the diversity in our church? Anybody with me on that? Yeah, it's awesome. So we want to see this continue to happen more and more and more. Remember our study through the Gospel of Luke? Man, Jesus loves the outcast. He loves those that are unlovely. But he also loves Zacchaeus, the rich guy that also needed salvation. So we're to reach out to everyone. We want to be a thumbprint of our community. Number, number four, strengthen affinity-based ministries for fellowship and connecting pathways. As I already talked about, man, 2013 was awesome. We don't need to, to, to add much or, or change much. Okay, maybe the men's ministry could use a little love. Okay, you could pray for our men. I think we got together once. That was pretty cool, right? I mean, so it's all good. You know, I'm in with that, you know, so. But, but we, can, we can build these up. We can strengthen these so that they provide opportunities for us to gather outside of Sundays and outside of our community groups but then also so that we can have a place to gather our friends who may be less likely to come on a Sunday morning. Man, they'll come and watch a Super Bowl with us. They'll come, you know, to a little, you know, tea party or something like that, women. Um, so don't shoot me any emails after the service. Sorry, I could come up with a better example. But you know what I'm saying. You know, we all have our different interests. Are y'all laughing? I'm cool. It's good. All right, so, um, so we want to strengthen these. Uh, and then finally, under community, we want, we want to establish our deacon ministry in 2014 to serve the growing needs within our church. So this is something we wanted to do last year, and because of time and everything else, probably poor leadership on my part, we didn't see it happen, but we're in position to add this, hopefully as early as possible, in 2014. So that's community. How can you take a step here? Are you a member yet? If not, bring it on. Come to our next Connections class in February. Join the family. Join the mission of our church. Are you a member? Man, own the church covenant. Say, I'm going to faithfully live this out by your grace, God. Have you joined a community group yet? Maybe that's an action step for you. How can you continue to to be involved, to, to fulfill this vision that we have? Maybe for some of you, say, you know what? I'll invite a coworker that doesn't look like me, talk like me, act like me so that we can become an even more diverse church. That's community. What about mission? Finally, mission. The invitation here is to join God in the greatest mission in the world. How are we going to do this, okay? We want to increase our frequency of sharing the gospel of Jesus through evangelistic networking. 
So, so last year, we put a number on this, okay? We, said, we actually said we want to see 25 people come to faith in Christ, okay? Sadly, we can't say that we saw that many people come to Christ. In fact, we saw, we saw only just a few. So what does this mean? Well, it means we kind of reevaluate, and, I, and I'm putting the emphasis, we're putting the emphasis on not the ends, but the means to the end. You see that? Why is that? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, and no one's going to hear unless we share with them. So if we would all say, you know what, I'm going to talk more about Jesus. I'm going to share Jesus more frequently with those around me. And listen, when we talk about evangelism, when we talk about giving financially, it's always kind of this spirit or this anticipation of guilt, okay? We never want to move people by guilt. We want to motivate people by joy, by the greatness and glory of God. Man, I, I guarantee you, okay, just test me on this and see. If you go out and share your faith, you're going to feel joy. Because with obedience comes joy and blessing. So maybe this year you would say, you know what? I'm going I'm to pray that God would enable me once every month, at minimum, once every month, I'm going to share my faith with someone else. Is that doable? Like once every 30 days, you know? Maybe it's just a plus one conversation. You share, you share truth about God. You answer some questions, and then, and then you get to the gospel in the next conversations. But let's be about actively sharing our faith with others. Number two, we want to mobilize more people to make disciples through our discipleship strategy. So I have to be honest here. This is an, I think this is one of the strengths of our church. It's one of the, the real uh, markers of our church. But I have to say that at this point, this is kind of primarily happening because of our leadership team and staff. It's not that our members don't value it. I know that we do, but, but I think that there's just kind of this apprehension to take the step. But, but let me say, if the Spirit of God lives in you and you're walking with Him, then you have something to give to someone else, someone else who's maybe a little further behind in their maturity in Christ. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a leader, a ministry leader. You, you just be a normal Christian who's following God and you say, you know what, come and walk with me as I seek to walk with Christ. It's as simple as that. So, so maybe some of you would, would commit, hey, you know what? I'm going to seek to invest my life in someone else this year to see them grow in their walk with God. Number three, we want to implement. This is quite simple. We want to implement a Serve Medford strategy throughout the whole calendar year, okay? So, so everyone probably knows if you've been around for a while, we have a Serve Medford week in the summer. But now what we want to do is every time we serve at the Boys and Girls Club, Every time we engage in an Easter egg hunt, we give Thanksgiving meals to family. We put on a Christmas dinner for our community. Our community groups go and serve and, and teach ESL at, at, at different housing developments in Medford. What we want to do is call all of that serve Medford so there's a, a unified front to how we're displaying and declaring the gospel to our city. Then, then uh, next, we, this is a big one. We want to steward our resources generously and meet our 2014 goal of $250,000. Okay, so, so it's a very specific number that we're praying God would enable us to reach as we move toward becoming self-sustaining as a church. And what usually happens in a church is, is, is this. There are some in the church who give above and beyond regularly, and then there are others who barely give at all. And then there are many who are somewhere in between. Now, listen, I don't, I don't, currently, I don't know what anyone gives. Okay, John sees that just in terms of accountability and stewardship and making sure our finances are clean. But, but, but one thing I do know is that for us to reach this goal, it's going to take us looking in the mirror 
evaluating our, our personal budgets and family budgets and saying, you know what, God, how can you move me to prioritize giving to your mission in the life of our church? Because that's really what this is about, right? We want to reach Medford, greater Boston, and the world with the gospel. This is why we give. Which then leads us to the final goal for 2014. We want to invest strategically in our mission partnerships in Charlestown, Toronto, India, and beyond. So, so maybe there are some of you sitting here today that you would say, you know what, I love Redemption Hill. It's great, but I'm going to pray about being a part of the core team of the Charlestown church plant. Listen, we want to come die and give ourselves away. So if that's you, if you live in the Charlestown area or you just want to be a part of a new work, man, pray about going and joining Todd. We will send you on your way with much love and joy. We also want to take our first trip to Toronto, okay? That was what we, we want to do that last year. It didn't happen, so we want to do that this year. And we want to take our first international trip as a church. At the end of February, I'm going to go on a vision trip in place of John because he's finishing his dissertation, okay? So I'm going to go to India on a vision trip. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to really lay out a vision for how we can be a global church, hoping to take our first trip maybe late summer, fall, end of the year to India. It'll be a big step for us as a church. So what is one specific commitment you can make to own this missional vision that we have for 2014? Listen, I know, okay, I'm smart enough to know. I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that this is a lot, right? And we want to see God do a lot of great things. We want to see him continue his great works among us in 2014. But how's it going to happen? Well, just as John prayed in in our opening prayer today, it's going to happen because all of us collectively decide to own the mission together. We're encouraging one another. We're praying for one another. We're holding one another accountable to this. And so what I want to invite you to do is to take this commitment card. And I'm just confident, because God is this good, that God has probably already spoken, pricked your heart in some area that we've discussed in this vision, and say, you know what, I can take this step under gospel, or this step under community, or this step under mission. And at the same time, we're not going to collect these today, because next week we're going to have what we're going to call not Vision Sunday, but Commitment Sunday. And we're going to collect these cards so that we can pray over them, so we can encourage you, so we can hold you accountable. So what I want you to do is to take the two cards, put your name on both of them, fill one out and keep it for yourself, and fill the other out and be ready to bring it next week as we seek to be about owning this mission together as Redemption Hill Church. How are we going to own the mission It's as simple as this. Be captured by a vision of the greatness of God. Then come, die, and give yourself away. That's how we're going to be about it. So so let let me just end with this question. In light of the greatness of God, how could we have a small vision for our lives or how could we have a small vision for our church? I think the answer is obvious. We, we cannot. So let's be about this great vision because God is a great God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to 
reflect on your word that gives us life, that gives us confidence, that, that changes us. And so, Father, if, if we heard nothing else this morning, I pray that we heard loudly and clearly that you are great and you're worthy of our greatest praise. Father, I pray that as a church, you would move us to reveal your greatness. So Lord, we understand that that's the only way that we're gonna see this vision accomplished is by being captivated, captured by a vision of your greatness and then seeking to live to show that greatness. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do.